This is the Canadian Tax Podcast, episode number 13, hosted by me, Cameron Ware. Good morning. Happy Monday. It is the week of June 7th, 2021. Uh, we've been away a bit of an unscheduled break, but the podcast is back. And like always, we will start with the news. Uh, last week, an interesting um, uh, technical interpretation, TI, from CRA about whether or not uh, certain employee wages qualified for the SUS reimbursement, uh, specifically uh, shareholder, um, it basically a, cl- a closely held corporation, shareholders getting uh, a T4, getting uh, a salary, and whether or not uh, th- that salary is good to go for SUS or not. So CRA released uh, TI 2020-086579, and without getting into all sorts of tax nerd detail, CRA's answer, like always, is it depends. Um, However, once you dig into it a little more, uh, CRA is saying no. Um, Again, I I don't want to get into the technical stuff here, but... What the point of this is a, a bit of uh, uh, a few words of caution in the technical interpretation itself, uh, and also a note: it took CRA almost six months to get an answer to this. So I think it bounced around a few different departments before they uh, figured out what the heck they were talking about. But long story short, in the notes there, uh, CRA says effectively: if if there's a retroactive journal entry that's posted to the shareholder loan. So in normal speak, debit salary expense, credit shareholder loan. CRA is saying that's not going to fly. However, what's interesting is for payroll tax purposes, of course you have to pay that. Um, no, no issues with that. They don't, you know, you're not off the hook just just because. But for Sue's purposes, no, that doesn't constitute a uh, uh, th- that type of arrangement doesn't constitute um, um, qualifiable salary, if you if you will. So. I guess the point here, this is a mess for a bunch of technical reasons. Um, if 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 you or your uh, tax preparer, tax firm has uh, has got you into uh, Sue's program, and and there's been payments to uh, to shareholders via shareholder loan account, um, maybe follow up on this and see what uh, what the status of everything is. See if. Um, <laughs> just watch watch uh cra may turn this into an audit i don't know uh or, a, or rather an um, audit task force we'll see but again with it my gripe here is you know i forget what that the movie was but it's you know the the characters bitching about how would have been nice to have known this information yesterday uh as opposed to you know six eight months after the fact so at least we have some clarity but i don't know where this is going to to lead it just opens a can of worms elsewhere so uh moving on a cbc article cra is saying that they are uh, outgunned um specifically cra says they are understaffed when it comes to tax cheats uh debbie and we've got a link to her in the uh, cbc notes here uh she says that they're uh, their job is to go after individuals and entities that, in effect, have unlimited resources and can aggressively exploit legal and international gray areas for their own gain. Um, I'm going to stop her right there. Unlimited resources. Uh, CRA was just awarded another $300 million in the 2021 budget. Uh, for a total budget 
uh, annual cost to Canadian taxpayers of $5.1 billion. So you've got one of the biggest uh, departments in Canada in terms of expenditures, bitching that they don't have enough resources, I guess. I Again, I just, I don't know. It it seems like every week I just shake my head at some of the stuff coming out of Ottawa. Maybe if you would run more effective audits and stop chasing or scaring the average taxpayer, um, I'm going to refer, I'll, I'll drop the quote-unquote sham approach CRA loves to take. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, basically any type of tax planning that the taxpayer attempts, CRA will just call it a sham and say that, no, 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 what you're doing here is not actually uh, a reasonable or, or viable tax planning. It's nothing. So please pay us our money. Thank you. Then they will chase the taxpayer for all sorts of paperwork and ridiculous over-the-top requests for uh, uh, paperwork or disclosures that have nothing to do with the actual audit at hand. It's phishing, for a lack of better term, uh, or lack of better words. But the the goal is just bury the taxpayer in so much compliance headache that they just capitulate and say, screw it, we'll just whatever, we'll pay you your money so you go away. Um, it's This is not how a, uh, a tax department should run unfortunately. So to, to have someone go in front of parliament and say that, no, 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 the, the, uh, the, the taxpayers that we're chasing, they have unlimited resources and, and uh, we have, we have no, no chance against these guys. It just, it's disingenuous. That's my $5 word for the day. Um, next, uh, next article, uh, <laughs> throw CRA under the bus again. Uh, to listeners of the podcast, this is going to be no surprise. You hear me uh, complain about this all the time. Uh, NDP, federal NDP, pushed for uh, specific disclosures of um, audit details and things like that coming out of CRA. And what's interesting is audits of large companies, or in other words, public companies, uh, dropped from about 6,300 or so, 6,281 in uh, the 2017 fiscal year uh, to about 4,257 audits in uh, fiscal 2019. So, I mean, that's almost a, a, a third that CRA just stopped doing. Now, CRA says they're doing focused, targeted audits to bring in uh, the big fish. And supposedly these audits take longer, but they bring in more revenue. However, the actual revenue figures from quote-unquote big fish audits, that can't really be found Anywhere. Now, my counterpoint here is that what CRA's discovered is that when you go after smart, sophisticated entities that have resources, uh, you need to have your stuff squared away, which if we go back to the earlier point or the, the, the earlier headline here where we discussed that CRA says they're quote unquote outgunned, what happens is if you take CRA's approach of just screaming and yelling loudly and burying people in paperwork, that works for small, small, small entities. Because at the end of the day, how much a distraction in, in terms of compliance and paying tax lawyers and tax accountants, there, there's not finite resources for that small business. So at some point, they're either going to close the doors or they'll just say, screw it, I'll pay what you want. I'll pay your blood money, your, your mafia fees, and uh, we'll just put this behind us. The big public companies don't necessarily have to do that. They have a little bit of a larger war chest and can push back against this kind of nonsense. And often you'll see that these types of audits go on for years. 
uh, just back and forth in front of the tax courts. CRA is discovering that that isn't effective. Uh, try, trying to use the same approaches that you use against the little guys and try that on some of the bigger outfits that can afford uh, some, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll say some well, well-heeled firms. Uh, it's not going to fly. So the, <laughs> CRA takes, they scream, well, that's not fair. No, the answer is stop being incompetent in your approaches to things and just do your job and do your job well. If that means you do less audits, but you do more effective audits, that would be great. However, we're finding that your previous approaches, or rather CRA's previous approaches, that worked in the past for the little guys, are not working for the big guys. So here's to hoping that they will uh, change change their approach and continue to go after or increase their attempts at going after the big guys instead of chasing your average taxpayer or Canadian small business. Um, low-hanging fruit and whatnot, and I guess we'll leave it at that. Uh, Lastly, last week, uh, global minimum corporate tax for the G7 countries. Uh, Big announcement last week. The the G7 has said they've come to an agreement on uh, minimum global corporate tax. Uh, In other words, they're they're pushing to tax multinational uh, corporations, specifically transfer pricing in uh, for for the big tech companies, they're and this isn't unreasonable. Look, if uh, if Amazon and Google and Facebook and those guys are uh, receiving revenue from customers in our country, and yet we can't tax that revenues, that's starting to be a, a something that's pretty upsetting for for these guys. So uh, with with Biden in. Um, new new presidency new approach to uh the the g7 and all of that stuff uh this is supposed to end the race to the bottom in the corporate tax world uh, a proposed 20 percent tax on profits of at least 10 percent in the country of origin uh quote the timing remains to be worked out exactly but there is broad agreement that these two things go hand in hand uh yellen told reporters that's janet yellen so the announcement was made however it's light on details and basically it's just hey we're all in agreement and uh we'll table this for for a different date so we've got a link to the washington post article there and that wraps things up for that we'll move on to a uh, listener questions uh first one here independent contractor versus employee so this is one we field all the time a uh, person asks, hi, I work part-time, earning about $45 an hour via an, an agency. The agency has offered me the option of earning $50 as an independent contractor. Uh, the agency mentioned that as an independent contractor, I won't qualify for overtime and I'll have to pay back my own taxes. Is this option worth it or should I remain an employee? So this one is... Um, we see this this one all the time, and there's there's always two issues. Issue number one is the actual: Are you a contractor? Or are you an employee? Um, with risk of uh, personal service business and all that stuff. We I've I've spoken on this a few times in the past. Um, we won't get into it here. Just just make sure that uh, this is a uh, we'll call it a legit uh, arrangement, and uh, and then it's papered uh, properly. But more importantly, issue number two is before you start going down that road, you need to make sure that the uh, 
the, the change in compensation is actually worth it. Now, on paper, you think, well, I was making $45 an hour before, now I'll be making $50, i am good to go. Uh, no. You now are on the hook for uh, the employee and employer portion of CBP tax. You lose your EI, and you now have to pay accountants and lawyers and do a whole bunch of extra bookkeeping and all this other junk that's, I mean, it's, it's worth doing if you're setting up a, a legitimate business and, and that kind of thing. It's just a necessary evil. But because you have the choice here, I don't usually recommend people take on the headaches of being uh, a contractor without, um, well, basically without the money making it worth it. You you now have to take on a whole bunch of extra compliance costs and headaches. And for a few bucks an hour extra, it's not worth doing, frankly. So what I tell my clients is you need to be making at least 30% more as a contractor than you would have uh, previously as an employee. Just because the accounting fees, the lawyer fees, CPP, all the other crap that you have to deal with throughout the year, uh, that's going to eat up a good chunk of that 30%. Not quite all of it, but most of it. Um, usually, you get a 50% increase. Yeah, do that all day. That uh, that'll make uh, that'll make sense. So I think I can leave that one at that. Um, in this case, the five dollars an hour increase not even close to being enough to to make it worth your time. So I would say a hard pass on that. Make them sweeten their offer. Uh, if the money looks good, then start looking into how to paper this thing to make sure that you are a uh, quote unquote legitimate contractor in the eyes of uh, CRA and you won't have any uh, tax issues down the road. Next question. Uh, this one has to do with uh, cross-border real estate. We have a U.S. citizen but Canadian principal resident looking to sell their U.S. house. Uh, he says, I've been renting this home to a tenant for the last two years. I've been living in Canada for nine years and being a uh, principal resident for, or excuse me, primary resident for uh, four years. And uh, also in the notes here, he said the gain would be less than uh, 250,000 threshold for us capital gains tax. So there's a few things going on here and it just, it will, will break it down. So prior to your entry to Canada, so nine years ago, when you left the U S to enter Canada, your fair market value or your, uh, excuse me, your, um, cost basis for your U S property is the fair market value on your entry date to Canada. Uh, so that that's for filing your Canadian taxes. The day that you entered, whatever the fair market value of the house is on that date, that's your cost base for Canadian purposes. Flip side, U.S., because, of course, you're a U.S. citizen, and like I joke here, U.S. is the center of the universe. USA doesn't care about any other tax stuff out there. You have to follow U.S. rules. So if you have a uh, U.S. real property, U.S. real estate, uh, you have to comply with their stuff. So as far as the U.S. is concerned, you still have that property. There's no departure tax from the U.S. So your ACB for U.S. purposes is whatever you originally acquired the house for. Now, as an aside, you, there's a gotcha here is you said you've been renting the house to a tenant. So I'm assuming that you've been filing uh, U.S. taxes for this. Uh, in particular with U.S. rental properties, there are specific rules in terms of depreciation and things like that. Also separately, I'm sure you've been making uh, repairs and maintenance or uh, additions, betterments, whatever you want to call it, uh, improvements to the property, which will also change your basis for both uh, U.S. and Canadian purposes. So 
having said that, you mentioned that it's under um, the, your your sale proceeds are going to be under uh, two hundred fifty thousand. So, regardless of your basis, there won't be any um, uh, U.S. tax on that, generally speaking. But Canada side, you're not exempt. Um, you have been living here, but you have the house in the states. So difficult. Well, I guess not impossible, but you wouldn't call that one your your principal uh, residence and get the Canadian exemption there, especially with a smaller gain like that. Um, it'll also depend on what your uh, depreciation and, and uh, basis additions were. So uh, point is, uh, U.S. side, probably no capital gains tax. Canadian side, you'll probably have some sort of capital gain that you have to report up here. Uh, you won't get a foreign tax credit for that because, of course, you're not paying any uh, capital gains tax in the U.S. Um, also watch because there is going to be foreign exchange gain. You're going to be paid in U.S. dollars. Uh, once you convert that to Canadian, it's going to increase the capital gains. So just watch for that. Uh, last question. Uh, T1135 cost basis issue. So the taxpayer here says... I recently had a CPA file my taxes, which also included the T1135 form, uh, but I don't think it was filled out correctly. From what I understand, if the cost base is over 250k, then the detailed portion of the form must be used. Does the cost base requirement only include the money that was deposited to buy my crypto investment? Or does the cost base also include the total acquisition cost for every single trade that was made? Uh, further clarification here, uh, the... Uh, um, taxpayer goes on to clarify says all right all right if i spend 100k on bitcoin um i sell bitcoin for 150k and then use that 150k to buy ethereum wouldn't my cost base be 100 or excuse me uh wouldn't my cost base be 250k and not 100 so what's going on here is is the old uh the old saying, you know, just enough to be dangerous. So you know what a cost base is, but it's the application of the, the concept that's being uh, messed up here. So all that matters here is co uh, cost base, which I sound like I'm flogging a dead horse, but cost base literally is what was the cost that you bought the item for? That, when it comes to the T1135, is the number that CRA cares about. So in your example here, you said, hey, I bought Bitcoin for uh, 100,000 for or, uh, 100K. That, assuming nothing else is going on, market value, sales, whatever, nobody cares. You have 100,000 in assets, reportable assets. So CRA expects to see 100,000 on uh, re reported on your T1135 form. Now you turn around and sell the Bitcoin for 150k. All right, you have 150,000 in proceeds less your original cost, 50 grand, whatever. Point is, you now have uh, again CRA doesn't care. Your original purchase was 100k for the Bitcoin. That's all CRA cares about. They don't care, necessarily care about your uh, sales proceeds. Step two is you turn around and buy 150,000 worth of Ethereum. So that is your new cost base for. Um, that asset. So that long-winded um, back and forth there, what I'm getting at or, or where this is going is all the T1135 form cares about is your highest cost base during the year. So with that in mind, you had 100,000 in uh, Bitcoin. Then you subsequently had another 150,000 in Ethereum. So 
for purposes of the T1135, there's actually two options here. Step one is, or rather, um, uh, option one is if you're under 250000 in um, cost base, you can just do a check-the-box election. And regardless, whether it was the original 100 or the uh, Bitcoin and, or, or the uh, 150K in Ethereum, you're under the 250000 detailed reporting threshold. So it is just a, a straightforward uh, check-the-box election. What the... Uh, listener here was was wondering is is if you know you make a whole bunch of sales in aggregate you know proceeds from sale one proceeds from sale two proceeds from sale three if those all total up over uh 250,000 in the year uh that does that make a, a person uh suddenly have to do the uh the detailed reporting method as as far as the t1135 goes and no no it doesn't it's just whether your your total assets uh, in, uh, in terms of cost basis for the year was under the 250k and in, in your specific case it is under which means you can just get away with uh, the uh, the simplified method the, the old uh, check the box election one and uh, leave it at that so with uh, with that uh, we will wrap things up for today like always if you have any questions send them to questions at canadiantaxpodcast.ca or find us over on twitter this is canadian tax podcast thanks for listening This commentary is for general informational purposes only and deals with complicated and time-sensitive info that may not apply to your situation. Tax rules are always changing and this information may not be current. Tax is complicated. This information is not tax advice. Don't rely on this info to make tax decisions. Hire a professional to help you. For more info, see canadiantaxpodcast.ca slash disclaimer.